0: Good morning, church. Good morning, Harvest. It's good to be back with you. You heard some great messages from Pastor Roger, Pastor Dwayne, over the last couple of weeks, and we're resuming this series, Not So Mysterious After All. I want to talk about uh, evidence. Uh, evidence is the available body of facts or information indicating whether a belief or a proposition is true or valid. Okay, An available body of facts indication, uh, information indicating whether a belief or proposition is true or valid. That's from the Oxford Languages Online. Now listen, we need evidence to convict somebody of a crime. Now here's the question. Is there evidence of your faith in Jesus Christ? Is, is there a body of facts that would support your profession of faith in Jesus Christ? And maybe you've seen a church sign like this one uh, before. Um, if you get arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to prove it? Would there be enough evidence to convict you? And what that evidence needs to be is not a mystery at all. One clear piece of evidence as it relates to this series um, is this. This is in a passage we're going to read in just a moment, in 1 Corinthians 12, 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, a, the manifestation of the Spirit here is a spiritual gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every believer is given a, an empowered ability, a spiritual gift, a manifestation of the Spirit, and given that for building up the church. And so if we have evidence of our faith in Christ, in part that's going to be that we're working for Christ to the benefit of people in the church and the strength of the church itself. And so back to the question, is there evidence of that in your life? If you profess faith in Jesus Christ, if you call yourself a Christian... Is there evidence of you serving other Christians to help them grow in their faith? And if you're not serving in some way, if you're not using the spiritual gift that God has given to you, then I'm afraid there's some absence of evidence. There's a vital piece of evidence that's missing from your profession. And you may need to do something about that after hearing this message today. So let's um, turn our attention to the Scriptures, and we're going to be looking... There are actually three main passages that look at spiritual gifts, a couple of others that contribute to the discussion in the New Testament, but we're going to read here from 1 Corinthians chapter 12 primarily. 1 Corinthians 12, going to pick it up at verse 4, and then a little bit at the end of the chapter. Um, Paul actually starts this in chapter 12 verse 1 saying, now concerning spiritual gifts, so that we know that this isn't about any other topic, but about spiritual gifts. Verse 4, he says, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Key verse, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. We just looked at that. To one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge, to Uh, according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. Now over to verse 27. Now you are the body of Christ. He's talking to the church. And individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administration, various kinds of tongues. And he asked the question, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? The answer to all of that is no, not everybody does. Do all interpret? but earnestly desire the higher gifts. And then he says, and I will show you still a most excellent, a more excellent way, and we'll look at that in just a moment. The point of this message, and we have three messages that are going to cover this content. As, I, as a believer, notice this in your notes, as a believer, I'm compelled to serve according to my gifts and passions in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, what I need to know is, if that's going to be true of me, what I need to know is, and we're going to look at these five questions. Question number one, what are the spiritual gifts? Maybe everybody isn't uh, totally familiar with what the spiritual gifts are. This is a good question to start with. First of all, when we use that word gift, it is the Greek word. In the original language, this is the word charis. Uh, C-H-A-R-I-S, charis in English, uh, we uh, grab that word, we turn it into charismatic or charisma. And the root word of that, that Greek word charis, the root word is grace. And so the gifts are the result. The gifts come to us by grace. The gifts are the result of the kindness and grace of God. They cannot be earned, and we certainly don't deserve to have this from God to be empowered in this way. And when we define it in that way, when we think about it in terms of being a grace gift, it takes care of any pride that we might have in whatever gift we have been given. It should arrest any complaining that we didn't get a certain gift, or why did they get that, and why didn't I, or why do they have that measure of the gift, and why don't I have more of a measure of it? The answer to all of that is is 100% God's doing in our lives. We don't know why God has chosen the way He did, nor is it any of my business that someone, as is true in my life, as I think about this and the giftings that God has given to me, is not any of my business at all why someone might have a greater measure of the gift that I have. There are better preachers, there are better leaders, there are better pastors by far than me. There are better counselors, better helpers, better musicians than those of you who have those gifts. Verse 18 of this same chapter here. But as it is, Paul says, as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. So when you think of the body of Christ, you think about the church and all the different gifts and all the different people, all the different passions, all the different measures of the gift. God chose all of that. And so we have no complaint. I need to be grateful that God in his grace has given me any gift at all. That he's given me any measure of the gift at all, and I need to play my part. And this applies to all the gifts, not just those that are more well-known. All of them are from the gracious hand of God. He made all of the selections, and again, I don't think we want to be questioning all of the, any of that. So, that's kind of all around that word gift and what that means, a specific definition, Uh, spiritual gifts are supernaturally empowered abilities given by God to each believer to build up the truth through service to one another. And again, I mentioned there are three passages where Paul lists the gifts, and there are different ways to look at the gifts, and even in terms of specific uh, categories of gifts and how we can kind of break it down. Let's look at a couple of charts here. Uh, First of all, chart number one, um, this is a simple two-division look At the spiritual gifts we look at it in terms of empowered abilities that's what this message is about and then secondly divine manifestations that's all going to be in the next message and that distinguishes between those gifts that are in our minds more natural talents infused with the spirit we'll talk about that in a moment as opposed to the more miraculous gifts like healing in tongues So that's kind of breaking it down very simply into two categories. That's what we're going to look at. But others have broken it down into three categories, and I found this helpful as well. This is the second chart I want to show you. Uh, Love gifts, word gifts, power gifts. I appreciate that breakdown. This is from uh, some work done by J. Robert Clinton in identifying these three categories. It was explained in a book I was reading by John Thompson from Sanctus Church down in Oshawa. um, uh, A book called Convergence. Convergence. And uh, the love gifts, we could define this way as ma- they manifest the love of God in practical ways. The word gifts clarify the nature, actions, and purposes of God. And you can see that in, in, in the breakdown of what, lists, what uh, gifts belong there. And so under love gifts, you have things like helping and admin and giving and encouragement. Those are just expressions of love uh, toward people. And the word gifts, obviously, preaching, teaching. Uh, prophetic utterance, these kinds of things, and then and then um, uh, power gifts, power gifts um, are the real miraculous ones. They demonstrate the power, presence, and reality of God. And the next message, we're going to deal with um, all of that. And the charts, those both of those charts are in your notes at hbc.info if you want to take a closer look at all of them. And let's be clear that. Because none of the lists exactly manishes any of the other lists in the Scriptures, and I'm talking now of Romans 12 and Ephesians 4 and here in 1 Corinthians 12, They're, they're not precise lists. We shouldn't therefore think that these are the only gifts. We don't have a single exhaustive list of all the gifts, but rather a sampling of gifts from Paul in these three different letters and from Peter in his first letter. And so we could infer that there may be other gifts not listed as well. And one more note here um, every believer has at least one. First Corinthians twelve seven again says, to each is given. And so if you are genuinely saved, then God has given you a gift to benefit the church and for his glory. All right, ready for question two? How do these differ from natural talents? That's a fair question. When Paul says that these are manifestations of the Spirit, again, verse 7, he means that the Spirit is showing up. It's a manifestation of the Spirit. The Spirit is showing up in the exercising of these gifts. To manifest something, if we look at that word, to manifest something is to make something fully known by revealing it clearly and in some detail, according to Law and the, the The exercising of the gifts is a making known of God of his spirit through you and so when it comes to these empowered abilities we'll put that chart up again when it comes to these empowered abilities a person may have grown up having particular abilities or talents they may have a mercy gift they may have a musical gift artistically creatively a gift of speaking or teaching they may be gifted relationally or intellectually these, these aptitudes or these abilities develop quite apart from any direct manifestation of the Spirit of God in a person's life. Both believers and unbelievers can be good at all of these things. Can show remarkable natural talent. Many of us would look back on our, on our educational experience and we would, we would see one or two or maybe three teachers who were particularly gifted at what they did, did quite apart from their faith. Maybe they weren't even followers of Christ. But a gifted teacher can change a mind. A gifted teacher can change a person's behaviors. But that's it. A spiritual teacher filled with the Holy Spirit of God, with the manifestation of the Spirit coming through them, can see changes that a great classroom teacher would never see. We see life change. Transformation of the heart. And of the soul. Oswald Chambers said, if the Spirit of God has has transitioned you, transformed you within, then you will demonstrate divine characteristics, not just good human characteristics. That's the difference. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the manifestation of the Spirit through us. So it isn't just teaching. It's Spirit-empowered teaching. It isn't just helping. It's Spirit-empowered helping. It isn't just an act of mercy. It's a spiritually empowered, divinely empowered act of mercy. Which then leads us to ask this third question. How do I determine what my gift is? Well, there are some really practical ways that we can lock down what our gifts are. And I'm going to give you a list here. And uh, these lists, uh, this list is actually in your notes. It won't be coming up on the screen, but it is in your notes. So let's pound through these. How do I determine? Okay, I'm getting to the place where I'm convinced that I need to be exercising my gift. I want to serve Jesus. But how do I determine what my gift is? Uh, First of all, let's look at this. Consider your natural abilities. Consider what you're good at. Consider what you do for a living and how that might indicate even some strengths in your life. Consider what you do in your spare time and and what you're really, again, what you're really qualified to do. All of these things might be an indicator. It shouldn't be a surprise to us that someone who chose nursing as a career might have a, a lot of empathy and might really have a mercy gift and might... Really want to serve in 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 caring ministries in the life of of a church. It shouldn't be any surprise. It's someone who rises up in in retail or or in an office environment and in manufacturing. They rise up to a management position. That maybe that person also has leadership in them. And so we want to look at our natural abilities. We want to look at our workplace and what we do for a living and what we've trained to do. Secondly. We need to observe the results that you get. You might think you're a teacher, but if no one's listening, if no one's learning, if no one's changing as a result of what you're teaching, you might not be a teacher. You need to look at the results you get. It may indicate from the results whether you should be doing something or you shouldn't be doing something. All these things working together. Here's a third one. Seek feedback and affirmation of others as to what you're good at. Uh, Sometimes this just comes along naturally if you're exercising your gift and people are affirming that and they're blessing that and they're telling you you're so good at it and maybe they're even um, giving you more opportunities. I I saw you do that and and I thought you did such a great job of it. I'd like you to do this as well. Or you see yourself just kind of as, as is often true for leaders. You kind of do one little thing and you lead one little thing and then you just continue to grow, and you're leading more and more uh, people, and taking on more and more responsibility. So seek feedback and the affirmation of listen to what others are saying, watch what's happening around you, and then here's a fourth one: ask yourself, what what, what am I passionate about? See, see, passion plus your gifting is going to lead you into a certain ministry, and so you might have the gift of helping, but one of the things that might really, really excite you, this might be an interesting example, but you really love the facility that we're in. You really love the building, and maybe you're not so oriented toward actually working with people. That happens, by the way. Some people are very passionate about working with people, and some people would rather just work alone, just, just put me in a room alone and and that's going to help shape the kind of ministry you go into and so if you have a gift of helping and you really love the facility then thomas our facilities director would love to talk to you about coming and helping to maintain and clean and take care of this facility that's passion love the building love to clean love being alone and put it all together and it turns into a ministry if you have the gift of mercy and and you have a passion for the homeless then you ought to be making meals right now and, and coordinating with our church to deliver those meals uh, to help the David Busby Center and feed the homeless. So your passion is, coupled with your gifting, is going to lead you to a ministry. And then um, here's a fifth, use trial and error. Don't be afraid to engage in ministry and then move on to something else if you find it's not the right fit. Okay? Try stuff. You say, like, don't sit back and just go, I don't know what my gift is, and I've been trying to figure it out. I've been trying to figure it out for five years, and I still haven't figured it out, so I haven't tried anything. Just try something. Just just call a genie up and say, I just want to try something. I want to try one. I want to try Harvest Kids. Or call up Jordan and say, you know what? I, I'm not sure I can commit beyond a year, but I'd love to be a youth leader and just see if that's a good fit for me. Just try something, trial and error. And then I have this last one. Uh, present yourself to God, and I think so many of us forget this, and those first five are so practical, things that we can do um, down on the horizontal plane, but then uh, let's get vertical with God, right? Let's present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. The section here begins in, in uh, the, or the section in Romans begins, Romans 12, 1. He says this, I appeal to you, and he's going to go on to talk about spiritual gifts in Romans 12. I appeal to you therefore brothers and sisters by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. The New King James version says this is your reasonable service. The NIV said this is your spiritual act of worship and again he goes on just a few verses later to talk about the spiritual gift that's what this is about have i presented myself to god have i just gone to him and said god whatever you want from me i'm presenting myself as a sacrifice to you living sacrifice to serve you in this way and again when you think about it this way it's not so mysterious mysterious after all and we shouldn't complicate it in every way have you gone to the lord and asked him what should i be doing for you This is about the doing. God, what should I be doing for you? We spent three weeks already talking about the being, the character that's necessary in one who would follow Christ, the fruit of the Spirit being in our lives. Before we get to the doing, what should I be doing for you? How have you gifted me? And then simply offering yourself to God as a sacrifice. Whatever you say, God, whatever you say, that I will do. All right. One, two, three questions. Here's a fourth question. Will the gift still be effective if I exercise it with wrong motives? Well, the expected answer to that is no. The exercising of the gifts cannot accomplish God's will if we have wrong motives. That would be a default setting. But God is God. God. Amen? But God is God. And God can do as He pleases. Amen? Amen? God can do as He pleases. And God often used people who had wrong motives. God often used people who were fearful. God used people who were angry. God used people who were selfish. God used people who had rampant and obvious sin in their lives. God even used people who despised Him and went out to oppose Him. I'm thinking Balaam right now. God is God, and God can do as He pleases. It is God's prerogative to use whomever He chooses in whatever way He chooses. And, And if we're talking about things that are mysterious, that part is mysterious to me. Why God would do that? But He does. And while God may use people and may use their gifts, even if their motives are off base... That is not a good rule of thumb for us to follow. I mean, we should have inside of us a desire to have the full flow of the Holy Spirit's power in our lives, nothing hindering our work for Christ. That's the way to facilitate the full impact of the gifts that God has given us. Approaching our service with the right motive. And so, what is that motive? In fact, there are three primary motives that we can bring to the table as we serve the Lord. Let's talk about it in terms of these three motivations, none of which, by the way, has anything to do with us. You know, in terms of, oh, that's so fulfilling, or I get such a rush off of it, or... Um, or, or um, you know i get joy whenever i serve those are all more me centered but these three motivations don't have anything to do with that not what we get out of it motivation 1 glory to god motivation 1 is glory to god a uh, first peter 4 this is where peter actually talks about the spiritual gifts he says as each has received a gift again Peter's saying the same thing as Paul. Each has received a gift. Each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Then he's going to mention word gifts. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves, those are the love gifts, as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. There it is. That's the motive. More than anything else, when I bring my service to Christ, I want to please Him. Okay? I want to please the Lord. I want to glorify the Lord. To Him, the verse goes on, to Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Motivation one. Okay, motivation two. Build the church. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. We're going to come back to this passage a little bit later on, spend a little bit of time in it. But for now, notice, my motivation for serving is to build the church. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for what? For the work of the ministry. Okay? So now you have these leaders and these teachers exercising their word gifts who are going to motivate the saints to also use their word and love gifts, and in some cases their power gifts, okay, to what? for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of christ the motive is the building of the church motivation three love for people now first corinthians chapter 13 i alluded to when i finished reading at the end of chapter 12 there paul says i'm going to show you a more excellent way and the whole package chapters 12, 13, 14 in 1 Corinthians. The whole package is about spiritual gifts. You have to start at the very beginning, he says in verse 1, now concerning spiritual gifts. And and then at the end of chapter 14, he says uh, that everything should be done decently in order in the church with respect to spiritual gifts. So the whole thing is packaged around that. And then right here in the middle, we have chapter 13. And um, this passage is often used at weddings. Uh, The context is about Um, not weddings okay the context is not about weddings the context here is about spiritual gifts in the church and notice what he says verses 1 to 3 of chapter 13 if i speak he's talking about gifts now if i speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love if i have these power gifts these incredible, miraculous gifts, if I have these, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, there's a gift that's not mentioned anywhere else, the gift of faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. Can you imagine having that kind of spiritual gift and and then not having it motivated by love, it really amounts to nothing. If I give away all I have, I have the spiritual gift of of contributing, of giving. I, I I, I have an ability to make money, and so I give that away. But if I do that, and even if I deliver up my body to be burned, the gift of martyrdom, not one that many people seek, I deliver up my body to be burned, But even that is nothing if I have not love. If I have not love, I gain nothing. The the, the point of all of this is if we're not motivated by love, what we do is useless. What we do is noise. There is no harmony. It's It's a musical illustration. There is no harmony. There is no melody. It is only noise, noise, noise. Now the thing about symbols is they're wonderful when they're in the midst of a song that calls for it. When there's harmony, when there's melody, when there's vocalists, when there's all the other things, a well-placed symbol is amazing. But if it's just the symbol, if it's just clanging, if it's just a noisy gong, it's dissonant. It's awful. It's annoying. It's not a song. To use Paul's words, it, 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 it's nothing. It's a zero. Now to be sure, even though we could say I'm motivated by love, I do it out of love. None of us ever gets this 100% right. We never approach our work for Christ with completely pure motives. There's always a hint of pride. Pride. There's always a little self-centeredness in what we do. There's always a little enjoyment of the kudos and the praise that we might receive, of the cards we get, of the gifts that come our way, of the words that people speak, of seeing the results. As pure as our motives might seem to be, we don't always do it to build the church, but sometimes to build up ourselves. We don't always do it out of love, but sometimes out of duty and obligation. Or for selfish reasons. And sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes we steal the glory from God and take it for ourselves. God may still use us. I mean, I've been at this long enough to be able to say to you that God has often used me when my motives were wrong. And I'm humbled by that. But that's not a safe place to stay. And if that's happening to you, if that's where you're at right now, really the, the answer is repentance, to get before the Lord, to private things just between you and Him, to tell Him about your heart, and to plead with Him to fill you with the Holy Spirit, to forgive you, and then for you to make a pledge before Him to recommit to serving with godly motives. All right, here's the final point. In fact, the final point is, what is the point? What is the point of God working through us in this way? We feel, after that last point, that last question, we feel our own vulnerability and weakness in the midst of serving. For sure, God could have found a better option than working with and through us. I mean, are you honest enough this morning to as you as you listen to this message? Are you honest enough to admit that you're a mess? We're all a mess. Are you honest enough to admit that God shouldn't be using you at all? I mean, I wonder that every week. Please understand. I wonder that every week as I'm preparing yet another sermon. Are you sure, Lord, that I should be doing this? How is it that the ground has not yet opened up and swallowed me whole, given the darkness of my own heart? Why is God still using me? God's long suffering with respect to my life is the stuff of legends when I consider my own struggle to get this right and to be faithful. I don't know if you're ready for this, but God works this way because we've already looked at this under motivation, but He works this way so that God Himself gets the glory and not us. If He empowers the ability, the talent, the gift, the manifestation, then He ought to get the credit for any good that comes as a result of the exercise of that gift. That's why He works through us. He's a, he's a specialist in working with, with messy people and messy lives. In fact, I love 2 Corinthians 4. Seven, we have this treasure. We have this treasure of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Frail, weak, vulnerable containers called human beings. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. God gets the glory. Also, so that the body of Christ is built up As we see the effect of our service on the spiritual lives of others, the the church is literally, not figuratively, the church is literally the body of Christ. And Christ himself is the head of the church. He sacrificed himself on the cross for the church. Ephesians 5.25, Jesus gave himself for her on the cross. And so we ought to also sacrifice for the church as he did. That's the point of that passage as it talks about marriage and our relationship, the relationship of, of, of the church to Christ and Christ to the church. So what's the point of God working through us in this way? So that God gets the glory, not us, so that the body of Christ is built up. And then look at this one, uh, so that we would remain humble as we see that that there, while there are more uh, public gifts, more prominent gifts, in fact, there are no lesser gifts. That's what the rest of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians explains. That every part of the body of Christ matters, verse 20, as it is. There are many parts, yet one body. We're all part of the same body. And Paul explains that in detail, verses 14 through 26. And, and so we need to understand this and, and remain a humble part of a single body of Christ. And when, 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 when we're not contributing, we're not contributing to the overall health of the, of the body that we belong to. Here's another one, so that our mutuality is assured. We belong to each other. There are no Lone Ranger Christians is the common phrase. There are no Lone Ranger Christians, okay? If you follow Christ and you love Him, then you will have a corresponding desire to be part of a local church. We need each other. And this very unusual year that we're in, it's it's causing us to rethink some old systems that may in fact have needed changing. It's also, and that's a good thing, okay? All the core stuff remains. The foundation is Christ, the four pillars. But a lot of the other stuff we're looking at. How we deliver ministry mostly. And as we think about that though, We also understand that this very unusual year is creating some concerning patterns in our lives, including the sense that we don't really need each other that much. I know a lot of us are feeling I need to be back together with God's people. And some others who are professing Christians just going, you know, I'm just fine on my own. No, you're not. And the Scriptures make it clear that it isn't just about you. It's about your part in building up this. If you bail on this and you're outside of this, that means that you don't love this enough to be here and be part of it. Can't go it alone. Can't cruise around all the different live streams. We can't take in the church that we find more preferable from other parts of the world and then just completely disconnect from the body life that God says is so important. We can't dispense with all the messiness of being members of a real-life, flesh-on-flesh local church. It's messy. It's going to be messy until Jesus comes through the clouds. And our part is to work with the Holy Spirit to make it a little less messy. So what are you doing to help make that happen? So what's the point of God working through us in this way? God gets the glory, not us. The body of Christ is built up. We remain humble. Our mutuality is assured. And and then, okay, our diversity is celebrated. Now, I believe that what we're talking about here in terms of spiritual gifts applies to a single local church and individual members in that local church. But I also believe that this diversity extends beyond individuals in a local church to local churches within a community and so uh, by that i mean connexus which is a great church preaches the word of god uh, pastor jeff over there is doing a great job he's gifted he and his church are gifted in a different way than, than than harvest is and we celebrate that we think that's a good thing they reach different people than we do we believe that emmanuel church that we have a lot of relationship with and we're so encouraged by. We believe that they are gifted in a different way and they're going to reach different people than Maple View or than us. God has fashioned it this way and this should be celebrated. We should celebrate smaller churches and larger churches and Pentecostal brethren and Baptist churches. God using the passions and approaches of each one to fulfill the mission in a community and, and that diversity also in the local church. Let's recognize, enjoy, and celebrate that diversity. Let's thank God that He uses all of us in very different ways to reach different places and people. It just makes life so interesting. It makes ministry so interesting. And we need to celebrate that as we bring all of that to bear on the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the planting of churches and the mission that has been entrusted to us to make disciples of all nations. And so that's what we need to know. As believers, you and I are compelled to serve according to our gifts and passions in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I sure do hope that there's enough evidence of that in your life to convict you of being a Christian. Let's pray. Father, you um, have demonstrated such incredible mercy toward us. You have loved us and you have given us your salvation through Jesus Christ and you have given us the indwelling Holy Spirit. And you've given us the church. And Father, the simplicity of it is that you've called us to live in a certain way, to be like Jesus taking on the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. But Father, you've also told us in pretty clear terms, in no uncertain terms, what we ought to be doing. And so God, as we, as we strive after both the being and the doing of our faith in Christ, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would strive with us. Forgive us for our lack. Forgive us for our failures. And Father, continue to show your patience toward us. We're a broken people, it's messy, it's hard. Father, you're so kind, you're so gracious, you're so merciful toward us. We receive that, Father, build your church for the sake of the mission in this city and in this county. Build your church for the sake of those who are hurting, for the sake of those who are unsaved. Build your church, Father. Bless the churches in this community. Bless Willow and Bethel and Celebration. Bless Emmanuel and Connexus and Mapleview. Bless Highway, Father. Bless Vox. Bless all of these churches. Bless South Shore Church. Father, do an amazing work in our city and in our county for the glory of Jesus Christ. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.